This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back, everybody. This is Encounter with God section right here where we get stuck into our Bible study. We had such a good Bible study on Saturday morning, I should point out. That was at 9.30, between 9.30 and 10.30. That's a small group interactive Bible study where you can pitch in with your thoughts and your suggestions. We had quite a number of people who were calling through. And, of course, you can call through for this section of the Bible study as well. Our number is 1-800-324-843, or you can text us on 491 But right now, Liam is going to give you next clue for the quiz because nobody has snapped this one up yet. Not quite yet. Should have got it on the last one. Indeed. But this one here, it's another good one. The number of members in Jacob's family who went to Egypt to live near Joseph. So it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of connecting the dots. But once you connect the dots... Okay, you're going to have to do some Bible study for that one, I think. Unless you actually know that story because I wouldn't have got it on that story. There's only one clue so far that... Um, I would have got this particular clue on. Indeed. So if, you, if you've if you connected the dots to either this question, or this clue, or the previous clues, give us a call at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can send us a text at 0491-064-669. And we will be sending you volume one of your story hour featuring Johann Sebastian Bach, uh, Fanny Crosby, plus nine more fantastic adventures. And, of course, I just want to remember, remind everybody about our app. I did mention my, my mate Javis down in Sydney listening the first time this morning. Go for it, Javis. And, of course, he's listening via the app. We got him set up with the app, and he is up and running because, yeah, Sydney is one of the few – If the, I think it's the only city where we don't have a – the only major city where we don't have Faith FM transmitters. Somebody else has snapped them all up in that particular area. Is Cairns a major city? Uh, no, that's a regional. Okay, never mind then. Yeah. Cairns is a, a major regional city. There you go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking of, you know, cities of like four and a half million. Oh, okay, no, this one I think is four and a half hundred thousand. <laughs> so not quite there, not quite there, but, you know, there's still time. Yeah. I like to give, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Moving on to our encounter. He's a North with- Queenslander. you got to forgive him. I know. You just, know. You're lucky that State of Origin isn't on this year because that'd be a whole different kettle of fish. Anyway, moving on to our encounter with God, much more important business. Yes. We are going, we're in Matthew today, aren't we? Uh, the topic for today is It Is Written. That's right. Absolutely. So let's go to Matthew and let's find out what is happening there in the what book is of written? Matthew. What is uh, so it? Matthew chapter 3, let's start written. right there. And as we introduce this particular story, We've got a situation where Jesus has just been baptized. Indeed. Which is a fantastic story. You've got Jesus comes to the Jordan River. John the Baptist is preaching. Uh, We mentioned John the Baptist earlier on. And uh, so John the Baptist is preaching there. He sees Jesus. Uh, The Gospel of John records how he you know, points Jesus out and says, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a very, very interesting statement right there because it reveals that John had a very, very good understanding of the sanctuary service and he had a very good understanding of what Jesus' role would be when he points Jesus out as the Lamb. Indeed. Because the only thing that can happen to a lamb within the sanctuary service is that it would die. Mm. And when Jesus died, it was 
all of his disciples and followers who were completely distraught by that event. They did not know what was going on. They were confused by it, and they were devastated, whereas they should have been probably very, very solemn, but also looking forward to the resurrection on the third day. They'd been told about that. Yep. Um, who would want to miss that? I mean, if Jesus told you he's going to raise rise pretty, from the dead, you'd you make, would be yeah. there. You would definitely be there to watch what was going to happen. It's a pretty significant event. Very significant event. Even if you were a distance away, you just want to see, is that, is that stone going to roll back? Is somebody going to come out? You know. <laughs> and, of course, because they didn't believe it, they missed out on the greatest event of history, which, of course, we have been celebrating or remembering this past uh, weekend as we've gone through Absolutely. the Easter weekend, which is yeah, a very special weekend. Uh, about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Anyway, so John understands that mm. he's like this. You know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus asks him to be baptized, and John's like, "No, no, you can't. I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me, because you're God, and I'm just a human being." You can kind of understand where John's coming from there, can't Very you? Very questioning, you know, why did Jesus, the Son of Man, come to me? I mean, if he came to you, Liam, how would you feel? I would... I, ruler, like, ruler and creator of the entire universe, your saviour and redeemer, and he says, I want you to baptise me. I'd be so confused. I'd be. It would not make sense, because why would me, a sinner, want the Son of Man to baptise him? Yeah. It makes zero sense. Like, as, as exactly as John put it, Jesus should be the one baptizing me rather yeah. than me baptizing him. That's right. And, uh, exactly what he says is exactly what I would be feeling and exactly what everyone else would be feeling. It's, he said it perfectly. It doesn't make sense. Okay, so two questions here. Number one, why did Jesus have John the Baptist baptize him? Because Jesus obviously you know, very clearly didn't need it. Um, and two, why did Jesus choose someone who was a sinner? Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that includes John the Baptist. Yep. Greatest of the prophets, no recorded sin, but all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yep. So your first question, why did Jesus, someone who was eternally saved, yeah. choose to be baptized um, to begin somebody, with, somebody had never sinned. Yeah, why did someone without from? sin choose to have his sins washed away? To yes, <laughs> that's a good way. Why did he choose to have his sins washed away? Uh, well, I mean, baptism doesn't wash sins away. We all understand it's a symbol oh, of what yeah. has already happened. But yeah, yeah, yeah you know what I'm, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I think of when Jesus was crucified. He bore the weight of the world. And I think maybe it, it was a sim, it, it was symbolic of the fact that while he hasn't sinned, he bears the weight of everyone other of everybody else's sins, and it was an example of his wash. He being baptized is first of all an example of what everyone he hasn't sinned. So if someone who hasn't sinned is getting baptized, someone who was already someone who is God's son is getting baptized then, of course, everybody else should definitely do it as yeah, well. even more so us. Yeah. yeah. There's even more reason for us to be baptised. That's right. I love, so, so, baptism is a funny thing. Sometimes I'm, I find people are like, um, do I need to? Do you remember your baptism? Yeah, absolutely. I remember my baptism. It was very... One of those days you kind of never forget. I don't know that anybody forgets their baptism unless they uh, got sprinkled. Yeah. I, baby, um, which is not really a baptism. My baptism According was, to the Bible. 
No, it's a christening. It's a christening, yeah. Different. Um, my baptism was at big camp in 2016. Uh, in North, what? so a big camp, the you know the big, uh, a big camp when all the Adventists, all, all people from all around, Christians. all Christians, Christians all come together ways. to collectively worship and praise God for a weekend or a week long. And that period was in the time. North Queensland this region. This was in North Queensland region. So this happened Townsville. in Townsville, yeah, at the Townsville Riverside Convention Centre, which is run by the Adventist Church. Wonderful bunch of people there. Um, but yeah, I was baptised there, and the, th- <laughs> the thing that was most memorable for me is that it was a hot day. But the, as, uh, it as it is in North Queensland. Queensland, but the water, it was icy cold. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's supposed to be a, a, something that you enjoy, and I did enjoy the you know the sentiment and, and the thought behind being baptised. But the physical me going into this freezing cold water on a hot day, I did not enjoy it. As you can tell by my voice raising, it was you know. It was who, <laughs> who here? Who who amongst our listeners? comes from Tasmania and believes that Liam doesn't actually know what <laughs> cold water feels like. Oh, I was, uh, it was, yeah, didn't enjoy it. I mean, I did it, I loved it, but yes. at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, it was something I'm never going to forget. Coldest baptism I ever did was in winter um, in the Blue Mountains out near the Janolan Cave. How did you go? How, how did you, as the person baptizing someone, how did you go with that? Well, it was fine. I just told everybody we're going to keep the uh, time spent in the, in the water to a minimum because nobody here wants to catch hypothermia today. And it's one of those things where, yeah, yeah the cold water hits. It's about nine degrees, something like that. Where was the person you were baptizing from? Uh, they were, we, we, everybody was from Sydney. Okay, so we everyone... went to this beautiful property, yeah. just stunning property in the Blue Mountains. Uh, amazing experience. And, uh, yeah, the water was... Um, Definitely cold. I was a like, bit we're going to keep this. Uh, we're going to keep the time in the water, so you do everything outside of the water possible, and then you spend the uh, at least. But once the baptism is over, it's a funny feeling. This warm feeling comes over you, and just suddenly Indeed. you don't feel cold anymore. Indeed, I've had that happen um, so many times during uh, baptisms. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so we're a little bit off topic and we haven't really gotten to our topic yet, but a quick, quick reminder to catch us right here on the uh, on Faith FM for our small group Bible study, interactive Bible study on Saturday morning, um, where you can join us. It's fully, uh, fully interactive. You call up, be part of the small group Bible study, particularly for the, all those who are missing having their small group Bible study on the weekend due to the coronavirus lockdown. Um, getting back to what we were talking about, we find here that Jesus was baptized. There was no reason that Jesus needed to be baptized. And John is kind of like, you know, uh, John the Baptist is kind of like, well, what, why? Why would I baptize you? And Jesus says, allow it to happen, for in this way it is best for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so what we've got here is that Jesus, one of the things that Jesus came to this earth to do was to do everything that we are supposed to do as an example for us. And if we're expected to get baptized, then Jesus is like, well, I'm going to get baptized as well because I expect every person to, who gives their life to me to be baptized. Um, some people feel funny about it. Some people come to me and they say, oh, can I do it in private where no one's going to see it? No one's going to hear about it? No, it's not how baptism works. Baptism is a public thing. You can't do it in private. A public commitment to God. The whole purpose of baptism is that you do it in front of witnesses. You don't have to have a lot. 
just but it's you, one of those things that's done in yeah. front of witnesses. That's the nature of baptism. It's kind of like a wedding, and people don't seem to have the same level of, of objection to getting married in public as they do to getting baptized in public. But they do currently. Um, yes, but that's very the different. Lockdown coronavirus. It's a very different situation. <laughs> and uh, but that's as you say, a very different situation. But anyway, be that as it may, Jesus was baptized to be an example to us in all things. Indeed. And he did not want to leave baptism out of you know that part of being an example. And this is the theme that carries on through yeah. the next um, little he bit. He continues to be an example. Yes. Because the very next thing that he does is go out into the desert where he's going to fast and pray. Now, he does that for 40 days and 40 nights. This is not something that you know we recommend or that you know Christians typically do is go and fast and pray for 40 days fasting and praying yes 40 days no no um, and there is a difference as to why Jesus spent that amount of time in doing so but at the end of that when Jesus is weak mm. and emaciated and he is in a position where really you know he's Possibly at the point of death, you know, 40 days without eating food. Be weak. Fasting. Um, you don't have a lot of resilience mm. left. The mind can play some... And this is one of the reasons why Jesus did that was because Jesus knew that all of us would go through situations where our resilience would end up being very, very low. And so it's like, okay, how do we respond when our resilience is low? When our resistance to temptation is at its lowest ebb? Mm. Jesus wanted to set an example for us in, uh, okay, an emergency situation where you might go for 40 days without food. How do you deal with temptation in that kind of an environment? Let's say that you've been imprisoned for your faith. And, of course, you know that is something that doesn't happen so much in our world these days here in this country. Um, and for Western Christianity, it hasn't happened for about the last 200 years on a large level. But we have to recognize that that's an aberration of history. That's not the norm when you look at history. In recent times, it hasn't necessarily been physical imprisonment, but I, I do feel that there has been psychological imprisonment where people are, especially where all these people are saying, you know, you can't say this, you can't say that. You're, you're almost afraid to, to talk about or even think about the Bible it's for a funny some people. Thing, it's a funny thing how uh, coronavirus has set us all free. Yeah, yeah. Because suddenly everybody's like, you talk about the Bible and everybody pricks up their ears like, oh, the Bible, you know. Suddenly whenever it's interesting. This, whenever it, suddenly it becomes interesting, particularly Bible prophecy. Yeah. And particularly, you know, the Bible health message is suddenly super interesting. So right now we're in a terrible time, but it might just be what we need. Indeed. Okay. So um, Jesus is going to set an example for, let's say somebody's been in prison and they've been, you know, in a dungeon. Yep. And this, you know, for, for like, you know, uh, 17, 1800 years of the history of this world, uh, at least 1200 years, this was kind of the norm for people who were dedicating their lives to being followers of Jesus. I mean, we've got a, a period there where 150 million people lost their lives yeah. because they believed in the Bible. That's a, that's a, that's a huge chunk. And so this is going to be something that is common. And, you know, at the end of that period, you're emaciated, you're weak, your temptation is there, and it's like, well, you know what? 
uh, you've been in prison and you are feeling like you're at death's door, well, just you know, drop some incense on this altar right here and we'll set you free. She'll be right. It's all done. Just go That's free. It. And so Jesus was setting an example of how to overcome temptation and to overcome it in the hardest possible environment. Yeah. And so this is all about Jesus' example. And so what we need to do is we need to learn from the example of Jesus how did Jesus overcome temptation. Well, and yeah. We're, I think we're about to find out. Let's dig into it. Let's okay. go to Matthew chapter 3. Chapter 4. Chapter 4, sorry. Uh, going from verse 1. Yeah, why not start in verse 1? Okay, so the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Can I just stop there for a minute? I, I, it says that he, he was led there by the Spirit, not by the devil, but by the Spirit. That's right. For the intent of being tempted. That's right. That's just... Uh, so does the Holy Spirit lead you into temptation? Is that the question that you are yes, asking here? that is the question I'm trying to get no, to. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead you into temptation. The Holy Spirit leads you in your life. I see. And when the Holy Spirit wants you to have a testimony to share or he wants you to have an example that you can set, yep. then the Holy Spirit will sometimes lead you into circumstances where he knows that you can gain the victory and having gained that victory, you can have a powerful testimony against Satan. There's a very important verse that goes along with this thought. Hold your finger here in Matthew Indeed. because you've raised a good, uh, a good one there. And I want everybody who, um, if you're our listener today, I want you to memorize this one. Okay, so we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. This is, this is a passage that I think everyone should memorize. The Bible says, There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to humanity. Mm. Okay, so you, you're getting tempted with something. Hey, guess what? You're not on your own. Yeah. There's like a whole bunch of people who have been tempted with that kind of thing as well. People that are supporting you. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear the temptation. So here's what God is going to do. This is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. The Holy Spirit will allow you to go into circumstances that are going to be trying and testing. Mm. You're going to come out stronger because if you never use your spiritual muscles, you will never grow strength. If you never exercise faith, you will never really learn what it is to have faith. It's just like with your actual muscles. Absolutely. You don't use them, they're not going to do anything. That's right. And um, I was going to say here, the uh, so you're not going to be tempted above what you are able. And so, yeah, the Holy Spirit will allow you to go into these kind of situations for your own benefit at times, but he's never going to allow you to go somewhere where you can't gain the victory. Mm. That's the key. The thing that is a story that comes to mind is the story of Job and how he was yeah. tested to his limits. And what a powerful testimony that is for all of us. Absolutely. Um, and so sometimes this does happen. And, of course... With every one of these circumstances, God also makes a way to escape. Yeah. So when temptation is knocking on your door, there is a way to escape. You've just got to open the door to escape. Mm. Just let him people, in. People, people ask, 
How do you overcome temptation? Here is the key. There is always a door of escape. You've simply got to choose to open the door. The problem is, and the reason that, we're, that we sin, is that we don't choose to open that door. That door is, it's got the word surrender on it, surrender to Jesus Christ. And we need to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. It's when we choose not to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, that's when we sin. And, um, and fall short. This is uh, Nathan Young with Take Me to the Water. That was Nathan Young with Take Me to the Water. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. We've got a discussion happening here about Jesus going into the wilderness. And, of course, uh, that was just after his baptism. 
Uh, before we go on to with our Bible study, we're going to have another clue for our quiz. This has been rather obscure yeah, this morning. There's only been one easy clue that has been given, and even that one's not so easy. So get ready to do some Bible study and give us a call. All right, so here is another uh, second last clue this morning. Gabriel told Daniel this number of sevens was decreed for his people to finish transgression and to put an end to sin. Okay, so there would be a certain uh, portion of our uh, listener base who are eschatologists. Yep. I think and for would our, know the answer to that one instantly. Yeah, for our clues this morning, you may it, it might not just be a, a thing of bang. I know it. You may need to open up the book and uh, and have a have a look. Yeah, absolutely. But um, which, of course, we always encourage here. We do indeed. Get into the Word, which we are doing right now. Yeah. In Encounter with God. Okay, uh, we have um, been talking about Jesus who, and, and particularly looking at how he overcomes temptation. And Indeed. overcoming temptation is the same for everyone. Yeah. And Jesus sets, an ex- sets us an example of how to overcome temptation mm. and how to deal with Satan. So he is weakened by 40 days of no food. He's been in the wilderness. He's been by himself. His resistance to anything is Pretty much at its lowest ebb. Yeah. And the most powerful person in the universe outside of himself actually turns up. The challenge here, the difficulty here, is that while he is far more powerful than Satan, he doesn't get to use any of that power. No. Because he has purpose to come to this earth as a human being and to not use his own divine power, to only use the divine power that comes from God alone. Yeah. And so then we have to stop and ask ourselves the question, well, how does he respond to Satan? Okay, so where did we get up to? Matthew chapter 3. We, we got up to chapter verse one, chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4, verse so 1. So moving on. I keep, I'm stuck in chapter 3 for some reason. Because I mentioned chapter 3 before about John and uh, eating uh, locusts and... Wild honey. Wild honey. So yeah, but we're in chapter four, verse uh, chapter yeah, verse one. So then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for forty days and forty nights. He fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, "If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread." And this is the bit that we're getting to. But Jesus told him, "No, the Scriptures say." People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, so what was wrong with what Satan said right here? I mean, why not turn it into bread? That would, I, don't, there, I don't think there really was anything. Uh, well, the problem with that is, well, there is something, sorry. The problem with that is that he would be using his divine power. Okay. And we as mortal human beings, we do not have divine power. No. So how would we be able, well, unless we... Through the Spirit, things can happen. Anything can happen through the Lord. But generally speaking, we do not have these these you know crazy abilities to turn rocks to bread. Sure. So Jesus, as an example, quoting Scripture for, for, to begin with, is is saying that no, we we don't change these things. And then he ties it back to Scripture by saying we don't need physical food. Okay, now Jesus does Jesus does do a bunch of miracles through the power of his Father. Why couldn't he just use the power of his Father right here? What would, what would, would there have been a problem with that? 
Let's say if he, as a human being, he just used the power that is available to you and I, performed a miracle and turned the rocks into bread. This is, uh, this is my view, what I'm about to say. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um, for me, it's he, when he did like, for example, water to wine and all his other miracles, he was proving to the people that he was God and that he was Jesus, yes. that he, yep, he was yep, the son yep, of God. Yep, yep, and yep, yep, he, yep. right here, he's proving to the people that he is human. And, yes. and helping and, and, and all those other, when he's performing miracles. Except that here there's no other people. Yeah. Uh, further on in the next two verses there is. Yeah. So here, it's, uh, I think it's an example. We, we can't change you know, bread to rocks. We, we don't, we, we struggle. We have struggles throughout our whole lives. But here God's saying that there is hope through the bread of life. Yeah, I think there's a really good. I think there's a key a key word in uh, this particular passage. And when you come to study the Bible, it's, it's it's usually the smallest words that have the most importance. So you've always got to look for your two letter, three letter, and the most four letter words. And the key one right here is the word if. Satan says if, mm. and so he would be using his own divine power to prove to Satan that he was God. Yeah. That's a major problem right there because that would be an expression of um, uncertainty in his calling. Yeah. Uh, He would be saying, well, you know what? I need to do this to show you, Satan, who I am, whereas God doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. And so he simply turns around and he quotes Scripture. I think this is the key right here. And this is what you're going to find in all of his temptations. And this is what you're going to find with the power of God's word. This is where we should be heading when it comes to gaining victory over temptation. We should turn to scripture. We should quote scripture. Um, Liam, why don't you go on for us and read for us now. Um, Yeah, keep reading five through seven. Okay, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the, scriptures, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Okay, so this is a really interesting one because Satan one. learns from the first one, doesn't he? Yeah. In the first one, uh, Satan gets scripture thrown at him. Yep. It's like, okay, two can play that game. He throws scripture straight back straight at Jesus. Straight back at him. Jesus says, this is, what it, this is what the Bible says. Okay, so once again, what would have been the problem? If Jesus had thrown himself off the top of the temple, if he had jumped off and had a nice, soft, feather-like landing at the bottom, obviously, you know, surrounded by thousands of people, what would have been the problem there? Uh, well, if, he had, uh, if I had have read that he had done that, I'd be jumping off cliffs every day. Just, okay, just- why does the Bible say not to do that? Because the Bible does say that the angels will catch you. Yeah. But here Jesus says, no, you shouldn't tempt God. No. So what's the difference between tempting God and the angels catching you? This is more when you don't know. For me, this is the angels protect you when you don't think you need it. When you accidentally when, when, fall when, off. Yeah, when things go wrong that you don't have control over. That's right. And there are multitudes of examples uh, where people have had personal experiences and you've probably had a personal experience Absolutely. as well. 
Uh, we'd love to hear about it. Give us a call, by the way, 1-800-324-843. Tell us your experience with an angel. The miracles in your life. Um, where an angel has saved your life. I, I can guarantee that there is um, numbers of people this morning who can share a testimony of Amen. an angel who stepped in and saved their life. Absolutely. But this is not a situation where an angel saved a person's life because that person... Um, was purposely doing something dangerous for the purpose of making a show or a spectacle. God says, no, you should not tempt God by doing so. Um, I had a caller come through earlier who you know, was sharing very um, personal information about how they attempted you know, suicide and the gun sim- simply didn't go off. Yeah. And that right there is an example of where God has stepped in and saved somebody's life, even though they may not have realized it. Anyway, so let's bring Scripture to our temptations. This is the Statler Brothers with Beat the Devil. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. In the wilderness, Jesus stayed 40 nights and 40 days. The devil God's son, but you get hungry like anyone. So if you're what they've all said, then turn these rocks, Jesus, to bread. By the word of God, man was shown. He came live by bread alone. Jesus said. Roof said, Son of God, I want some proof. If you've got angels to see you through, then jump down, Jesus. Ah, they'll get you. Jesus said, Scriptures record, thou shalt not tempt the Lord. Look it up.
team here at Faith FM are encouraging you to stay positive and look out for others in this virus season. But maybe it's you that's in a tough spot right now due to the coronavirus. Maybe you're running low on supplies, out of work, stuck in self-quarantine, or just needing someone to chat to. We don't have any magic solutions, but there are many community services available to help. And if you don't know where to turn, contact us on 1-800-FAITH-FM through our website or on Facebook, and we may be able to connect you with someone in your community who can offer support. Remember, that's 1-800-FAITH-FM on our website, faithfm.com.au or via Facebook. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Are drugs or alcohol a problem in your life? Alcohol Drugs Assist, or ADA, is a 12-step recovery program designed to help you escape the hold of addictions in a friendly and judgment-free environment. ADA meets regularly, and if you'd like to attend, give Peter a call or text on 0487 907 879. That's 0487 907 879.
You are listening to CC Winnings with Never Have to Be Alone. This is the Breakfast Show. It is Question of the Day question time, where we of get the to day. answer one of your questions. What have we got? What do you got for us there? Yeah, the Good. question today it is: How much of the Bible should we take literal, and should we? Oh, and how? What should we take as advice? And a couple of examples of this is the Bible says men should have short hair, for example. Women should not speak in the church. So what parts of the Bible should we be taking literal and what parts should we be taking uh, as advice? And uh, examples of things that we should take literal is to you know, commit ourselves to, Lord, to the Lord. Um, so other things, in such as the things we should eat and things we shouldn't eat. Thou shalt not kill. We should definitely, not take kill. That, definitely take yeah. that one literally. So a couple of you know, examples of things that we do take literal currently and things that we may be a bit more lenient with like the okay so I'm going to reword this a little bit okay um, and I'm going to put it this way yep how much of the Bible is a moral imperative okay compared to how much of the Bible is a spirit a, a principle based imperative okay because the everything in the Bible is important absolutely everything the Bible says the difference is that some of what the Bible says is based on principle in which the Bible is teaching you a valuable principle. Other parts of the Bible are basically just where the Bible is spelling out a moral imperative. And so, for instance, your Ten Commandments are a moral imperative. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt have no other gods before me, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Um, you know, These are all moral imperatives. We don't get... You know, we don't take these as principles. We take them as imperatives. Are there principles involved with the Ten Commandments? Absolutely. You see, the the spirit of the law is so much of a higher standard than what the letter of the law is. The letter of the law simply says don't kill. The spirit of the law says don't hate. The letter of the law says uh, don't um, don't commit adultery. The spirit of the law says don't lust. And so when you go to the principle, the principle is always much higher than the initial moral imperative. A couple of examples were given here of, you know, men should have short hair and women should not speak in church, these kinds of things. When you find something in the Bible where one person kind of does say it in kind of very clear language, but yet there are very, very clear and obvious places where the Bible does not uphold this as a standard for all people for all time, then you need to recognize that cultural considerations need to be taken into place, taken into consideration. Okay, so here's what you're going to find. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples here. If it was morally wrong for a man to have long hair, then would God have allowed Samson to have long hair? Or Jesus? I don't know. No. Because if it was morally wrong for a man to have long hair, then you know anyone who took a Nazarite vow would be doing something immoral. And a Nazarite vow was not immoral. Mm. And it was God who told Samson's parents that he wasn't to cut his hair, that he was to grow his hair long. Yeah. Okay, so this is not then a moral imperative. The principle here, and the principle that Paul is outlining when he speaks about it, is that we need to be respectful to the culture in which we live and operate. And we need to dress and act appropriately so that we don't stand out as a sore thumb. The principle he's outlining is don't be a sore thumb as a Christian. Um, and so, you know, 
it might not be the greatest idea right now to get around as an 80s punk rocker uh, because you're just going to be doing something to draw attention to yourself for all the wrong reasons in today's culture and society. All right, so moving on from there, your other, your other example that you mentioned was women not speaking in church. And what you've got to note here is the difference between um, Israel or Judah in this particular era and the Hellenic, the Hellenic culture that surrounded it. So it was a Greek culture that surrounded it. And there was a big difference between um, you know, your Jewish culture where even the peasant girls were educated. So you know, Mary's, Jesus' mother, Mary, taught Jesus. She was an educated person, even though she was a peasant girl. To you go to the highest levels of Greek society, and women were illiterate. You know, they were very second-class citizens in society. And uh, the problem here was that you had the situation in church where all of the women were constantly asking and badgering both their husbands and the preacher and everybody else asking a million questions because they were not able to read and understand the Bible for themselves. And so Paul is saying, you need to sit down at home as men and have a Bible study with your uh, women folk because the church needs a, needs to be a place where things are done decently and in order. This is instruction that is given to Greek churches. It is never given to Jewish churches. And in the Jewish churches, you find at the highest level of worship, you've got Anna the prophetess, you know, speaking at the dedication service of Jesus. You've got, you know, Philip's four daughters who preach. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And so you've got these different cultures coming in. And so when you see these kinds of things in the Bible, then you know it is a cultural consideration the principle of do things decently in order still applies we need to move on with our show today we're going to probably pick this question up and deal with it a little bit more this is Candid Bergen catch the vision Stand 
You're listening to Candice Bergen with Catch the Vision here on Breakfast Show. We've come to the end of our show, which means we are giving away something for free. We are indeed. First caller through is 1-800-324-843, or you can text us on 0491-064-669. We would love to hear from you. Uh, first, call, first person to get us a message is getting a free prize. What have you got for us? This morning, here? you will be getting a copy of Can We Still Believe the Bible and does it really matter? By Brian Ball. Okay, this is an excellent book by uh, Dr. Brian Ball. Um, as to yeah, you know, the Bible has been around for like three and a half thousand years since Moses wrote the first five books. That is a long period of time. Is it ridiculously out of date? There are many ancient documents that the moment you start reading them, you kind of have a bit of a chuckle to yourself, like that's ridiculous. Is the Bible does it fit into that same category, or is incredibly up to date? Maybe we should be asking the question is, why is the entire world following the Bible right now yeah. with quarantine? The Bible you know, very, very clearly outlines quarantine when um, there is a plague or a disease that is running rampant through society. And the entire world is following the Bible right now. Anyway, so give us a call, 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669 and you'll be able to get your free copy of that particular book. And don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith. You're going to grow strong in Jesus Christ and that's what we want to be doing all day long and that's what happens when we read and study the Bible together. God be with you till we meet again.
FM radio, bringing you peace, hope and certainty in uncertain times. Thank you. 